podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. You're listening to Uncovered with Barat Sundarason and Jared Kimber on the 99.94 Network. Let's start with India T20 cricket, my friends, oh. because I've been talking to people who know a lot about T20 cricket, people in and around the Indian setup, IPL teams, but but also just coaches and analysts and everything. And I have a, a laundry list of things they're doing wrong. Do you remember last week we said um, that it was hard to remake them because they were not like England, right? Yeah, Whereas England true. just shut the bed so monumentally yeah. in 2015 it's like well, what else could we do let's yeah, just clean up this big pile of shit and yeah. then we'll work out what to do afterwards I- india's not quite like that mm. so i'm going to put three players to you there are three players that could have played in this in this squad yeah um right umran malik yes um ravi bishnoi and pris Fischel, mm. right you could have played these three i don't think any one of those radically changes what India would have done, other than perhaps Priest for sure, just because he would have opened and therefore there would have been more dynamism at the top. But if he was in the squad, he would not have played. He wouldn't have. That's the thing. Uh, I think with the the thing with Indian T20 cricket is, and we kind of touched upon it briefly during the World Cup, is uh, it's it's a cultural thing. It's a cultural change that is required, uh, like what we've seen with England and briefly with the Australia, but the gone back to being the way it was uh with them where you know you just have to wake up smell the coffee as the cliche goes and say uh we we need dynamism up right from the top to the the bottom in the batting lineup i mean that's the way to win world cups that's the way to win tournaments i mean you can get into semi-finals and make uh do that um, occasionally but you're not going to win tournaments without you know having literally i mean having match winners from top to bottom i'm not saying rohit sharma or virat kohli or kl rahul aren't match winners but i think the the impact players that seem to be doing the job for other teams like what uh, e- even someone who can just come in and make that 30 or 15 at the top of the order and get your team off to a start is is the kind of player who seems to be making an impact in this format. I mean, the whole concept of finishing from the top, we've discussed this in the past as well, uh, does exist. But I mean, when you have the, when you have access to the pool of talent that India do, like they always have, especially now with the IPL and uh, especially in T20 cricket, uh, there's no reason why they shouldn't be tapping into it as much as everybody else wants them to. Uh, like you said, I mean, Prithvi Shaw hits more boundaries and power plays. And I'm not, I'm not even a big numbers guy, but I know that for a fact as well, that he hits more boundaries than most other guys in T20 cricket. Forget about India. Um, so you need someone like that. Is he going to come off every time? Maybe. But uh, how often did KL Rahul come off in this World Cup? He didn't make 250s. I was, I was just looking at some stats the other day. And uh, I think he, uh, apart from Kohli and Surya Kumar Yadav, is the... Uh, he's number three in that run scoring list for India in this World Cup, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Maybe Hardik Pandya might be ahead of him. But the fact that he made 250s and other times just didn't look like, you know, look the part. Uh, you just think about Prithvi Shaw in his place. And uh, yeah, he might have he might have had the same kind of uh, average impact on the World Cup. But every time he would come off, India would have got off to a flyer, right? Against all comers in all conditions. So, uh, look, I think... Uh, Indian T20 cricket, Jared, I said this on a few shows now, is a lot like where India is right now as a country, like ready to break free, but still kind of clinging on to the past. Or And by past, I don't mean past players, but by that conservatism that kind of defines India or defined India as a country for a long, long time. So, yeah, it, it, it shouldn't have taken this long. I think uh, the fact that they have made scapegoat out of the selectors is kind of interesting. I mean, you. I've just said there's three players that I think could have been in that squad. And also, and I'm much more progressive than, you know, it's easy yeah. for us to be progressive. We don't lose anything. Yeah, exactly. And even where, like, maybe one of them plays. Yeah. Right? So it's, it's all well and good to go, oh, the selectors weren't any good. But realistically, 
Nah. The selectors probably picked the best team for Australia. It just they didn't did. work, right? So you talk about the dynamism and winning the thing. One thing the selectors did, which is really, really interesting, is they picked Dinesh Kartik. Yes. Right? And the whole idea was Dinesh Kartik was going to come in and he's going to smash the ball at the tail and do what he did, has done for KKR and, and uh, I suppose, what, is it, was it Chennai he played for last year? Yeah, Chennai. Bangalore. Was it Bangalore last yeah. year? Yeah. I don't think he's ever Dinesh played Kartik for Chennai. Played for Bangalore? Yeah, yeah, he did under under Virat. I mean, under Virat Kohli. I don't think he's ever played for Chennai. I can't even remember who he played for last year. That's how <laughs> too many anyway. teams. Yeah. Um. So he plays that role, and we get it, and he does that, and that's fine. And he comes in, he gets run out in a game mm. where potentially the hands may have broken the stumps, not the ball, yeah. but probably should have been given out anyway because yeah, yeah. this the ball was probably going to break the stumps. He then gets stumped having to face Muhammad Nawaz's <laughs> left arm seam spin, whatever the hell was yeah. going on in that last over against Pakistan, gets injured, and then they drop him. Yeah. Right? So here's a perfect thing of the selectors are like, bold move. We're going to go with the old guy over Rishabh Pant. You know, we're going to be involved in picking someone based purely on IPL form. Mm. We're going to back them. They're going to do this. They get injured, and then they just decide not to do that theory anymore. Right? Yeah. And... And again, you, so, so you're talking about, we get it, the old methods and everything else. That wasn't even particularly the old method. No. That is just a shit selection thing. And yeah. to, go, to go back a step, if people have forgotten what happened with Australia, I think you and I might have discussed it in a previous episode, or I've certainly discussed it with someone recently. Uh, 2021, Australia win the World Cup. They drop Mitch Marsh and bring Ashton Agar in midway through that tournament. Yeah. And then... and. Basically, after just discovering that Mitch Marsh was the solution to all mm. their problems, <laughs> drop him, get rid of him. That doesn't work. They bring him back. Obviously, he ends up making runs in the final and yeah. everyone thinks it's... Like, Australia made a, pro a, a mistake with their selection and they still won the World Cup, yeah. right? You can do that. Yeah, yeah, but that Dinesh Kartik thing to me suggests that there's, there's certainly something within the Indian team that is going forwards yes. at the same time that someone else is going backwards. Does that make yeah. sense? Oh, absolutely makes sense. And that's been the history of India and T20 World Cups. If you see straight from, I mean, right after 2007, ever since the IPL has come into being, where uh, you've all, you'll have all see a couple of players or IPL-based selections. They've, they've always happened. I mean, I remember Lakshmi Pati Balaji coming back into the side in uh, uh, 2012, I think, or 2012 or 14, on the basis of some IPL performance at a time when, you know, India had moved on from him. Like, you know, he was a senior, senior player at that point. He comes back. Uh, we've seen a, a few others just break into the side based on uh, what they've done in the IPL. But it's never been a full-fledged thing. It's not that you've had the uh, an IPL free season finishes and you have the, um, you know, when, when you have all those 11s that people make at the end of a tournament, like the best IPL 11, best Indian 11 from the IPL. It's not that you suddenly have nine players coming in from that, that that team that that which uh involves a lot of new names that's never happened they've kind of flirted with it like they flirted like they flirted with Surya Kumar Yadav last year if you think about it i mean he makes his debut early on in the year and makes an impact but he 2021 wasn't what 2022 has been for Surya Kumar Yadav so it was still a punt uh but they've always had that you know okay okay okay, okay don't don't okay don't before you jump on us as selectors we'll we'll acknowledge the IPL and we'll pick a couple of players who think we've done uh, who we think have done well but as a team going forward as a squad I think we'll stick to what we've been doing so I think that's been like a theme of India and I remember saying this before this World Cup as well a lot of people thought India started playing this brave new cricket uh, the word fearless kept being thrown around a lot by people within the team outside the team by experts by people who watch a lot of Indian cricket but you just looked at that squad and just as the World Cup began, like it did last year as well, it they'd gone back to what they feel comfortable, right? I mean, uh, India in T20 I bilateral crickets, and I don't watch as much Indian cricket as I used to because I don't cover it as much, um, seems completely different at times to what Indi the T20 I cricket that India play in World Cups. Uh, right, like from who they pick to how they go about their cricket. And now it's become a question of... Uh, when Surya Kumar Yadav fires, they win. If they do, he doesn't, invariably they lose. I mean, you saw in that game against New Zealand two nights ago, uh, what he makes 111, everybody else has made like what 60 odd at runner ball. It, it, it's it's in, incredible how far ahead he seems to be 
in terms of just T20 batting. But if you put him in the context of this Indian team, um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there are, I'm not saying there are other Surya Kumar Yadavs out there, but that should tell India that maybe they should start investing a lot more in the likes of a Prithvi Shaw or uh, at least when it comes to batting, uh, some others. I mean, Sanju Samson is one guy who always divides opinions in India. Um, I, 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 and he's an interesting interesting character. I mean, now he's in his, he's, I think, in his mid to late 20s now. Mm. And there are so many other uh, alternatives India have as wicketkeeper batters. And they've tried him. They've never given him a longish run. Uh, never been consistent with him. But the way India have used Sanju Samson over the years, uh, without defending him or like, you know, uh, or saying that, no, no, they should have picked him more. But that kind of sums up how India have gone about T20 cricket. They, like you correctly summed up, they take two steps forward, but then they immediately go back to what's comfortable for them. Like we saw as this World Cup progressed as well. Yeah, you could put Sanju in that list that I did before. Again, I don't see who is pushing out of this side unless you yeah, completely exactly. change what the side is anyway. So you then look at the way that they play. I suppose England's two big things are England hunt the fifth bowler, mm. the opposition, knowing where that weakness is going to be. They, they, they do that. And then they do this other thing. And you could see it when the, the David Warner um, chat the other day. David Warner was uh, – did you see it that Fox released a thing yeah, where yeah. he was mic'd up for that innings, right? Yeah. Listen to what he's saying. And he's talking about the players hunting their own matchups. Yeah, yeah. So he's like, okay, this guy's coming on. Well, I'm going to attack him. And he's basically saying, this is my strength. Yeah. You know, Finchie, you don't need to do it. Weirdly enough, Finchie goes, no, I'll be aggressive too. No, mate, just <laughs> let the guy who's actually um, hitting the ball. You watch Eng uh, India play and you and you think, when are that? Well, who are they trying to punish? They're really not making any key decisions on anyone to punish other than very occasionally you see it against a finger spinner. Yeah. Right. And, 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 and even then it's usually, it's like an over or two, right? It's not, we're going to hit you out of the attack so that you'll have to do mm. something different. And so again, then they're looking at something else. And then of course you've got the, the anchor side of things, right? Mm. So the anchor side of things is really interesting because K.O. Raul is, well, he's a, you know, uh, a narrative on his own. Yeah. How he went from being, he basically was Sky, right? And yeah. now he's, and now he's like Rohit. Um, and, and I don't really understand how that happened. Then they've got Rohit. Then they've got Virat, right? And those are the three that get all the thing. Yeah. Well, Hardik Pandya turned into a, 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 an anchor last year. Yeah. Rishabh Pant turned into an anchor. At a certain point, you have to say, this isn't the individuals, right? Yeah. This, there is something happening within Indian cricket. And I think it's that conservatism you were talking about before, but it's also, there's absolutely no doubt that Indian cricket looks at it very differently than the way English cricket and West Indies cricket specifically yeah. started looking at it, which is they were like, oh, it's great to be on the top of the run scorers list, but don't you want to be the person with the best strike rate or don't yeah. you want to be the person who hits the most sixes? I just don't think that's a thing. And, you know, I'm not blaming this at all because we see this in all sorts of sports. But, you know, the, the purple cap, um, and the orange cap and everything. It's like, those are two things that don't matter. Yeah. If you, if you have the most runs or the most yeah. wickets, it just doesn't matter at the yeah. end of a T20 tournament. You really, it's, it's about efficiency. It's about economy. It's about all these other things. And so there is certainly something within Indian cricket where the anchor mentality hasn't left in a way that it has with some of the other T20 teams. Yeah. I mean, we spoke about this a lot last week when he spoke about England, uh, that word commitment, right? I mean, full-fledged commitment. Uh, and Indian cricket somehow um, has never like taken the plunge, right? Like they've they've flirted with it. They've, like I said earlier, they've always gone back and forth with, uh, you know, how far ahead, how extreme can they be in terms of who they pick to how they play, especially in World Cups. They seem to be a lot more carefree when it comes to bilateral cricket maybe because yeah. the focus isn't as as much and and especially you see when they play teams like sri lanka or for that matter even west indies you'll see uh, i mean if you don't follow indian cricket very closely you'll pick up a scorecard and you'll be like oh that guy played as well oh this guy played as well but then one once you approach world cup season everything changes, which is very different to... Uh, look look at England's... I mean, this will be quite the quiz, right? Like moving forward when someone asks uh, you maybe 10 months from now, suddenly put a gun to your head and say, name England's playing 11 from the MCG World Cup final. 
I, most will get it right because people just follow cricket madly these days. But I you don't know, think that many will get Brook or Salt though. Exactly, exactly. But you ask most people to pick an Indian playing eleven in any World Cup. It's pretty straightforward. I mean, very rarely will you get it wrong, right? Even in Ashdeep Singh, who made such an impact, uh, he would maybe one of be one of the first names you put in there because it's it's kind of not it is kind of predictable, right? We spoke about how England are uh, predictably efficient or predictably exciting. Um, India are very have always been a predictable team, and uh, even in terms of mid match or uh, mid innings tactics uh, that semi final when um, surya kumar yadav gets out to adil rashid he still has a few more balls left in his spell england have liam livingston who they like to use in the middle overs and that's the time so you've lost one unpredictable batter like in surya kumar yadav and you could see the two boundaries he hit in the previous over the pressure suddenly come back on england they're not sure what to do with him um, he gets out and who do you send in? Hardik Pandya, who, yes, ended up making uh, that 60 or 40 balls or whatever, but uh, gave India a sniff. But at least at the start of his innings, he's pretty predictable. You can set fields mm -hmm. to him and you can set fields to both him and Kohli and not have to move them around too much. I mean, he might still come off like he did. But that's when you expected someone like Rishabh Pant, who you thought they picked just because he has that matchup against Adil Rashid, even if it's three balls, three balls, two balls, of two of those go for four, suddenly the pressure is back on England, right? But they send in Hardik Pandya and England are allowed to kind of settle in and get give living, Liam Livingston two more overs. And uh, even though they concede 68 in the last five, it doesn't matter because they've only conceded 100 in the first 15. So that's the thing, like even mid-match, where there is an opportunity, even with this predictable outfit, for them to be slightly unpredictable, they just go, nah, no, no, no. What if it doesn't work out? I think, look, I think it's a very Indian culture thing as well, Jared. Like where you're like, okay, I'll try the, or I'll go stick with the tried and test it. If it doesn't work out, well, okay. But if I take something, I'll do something out of the ordinary and doesn't work out, I'll just get criticized more. And maybe that's where uh, India falter in T20 cricket. That's why they don't have a title to show for it, for all the other you know improvements they made in that format, apart from at World Cup level uh, since 2007. So it's not just the batting, because they also yeah. picked bowlers who are more spoiler bowlers, especially in Australian conditions, right? So Chahal doesn't play. Yeah, And I know he takes wickets in India straight away and everyone's like, oh, look, he should have played. Well, it's Australia, so yeah. let's just chill for yeah. a little bit. But he's a wicket taker and they didn't go for the wicket takers. They yes. specifically went for the spoiler bot. Like Huda kept playing, even though yeah. quite clearly no one thought he could bowl in that team from, from what I could tell. And I'm not sure he, he can bat at that level either, right? So they're not very aggressive when it comes to batting, but they're also not very aggressive when it comes to, to wicket takers. The other thing is, if you look at their lineup, they had three guys who all want the new ball mm. and they had two finger spinners, yeah. right? And so Hardy Pandy is the only sort of guy that can do anything a little bit different in that yeah. lineup, which means that when you're lining up against them, you know they're probably not going to use their finger spinners up front right? They're probably going to use them in the middle. And then the three quicks are going to have to all show the two swingy guys will take it at the start. And then the, the guy with the seam, he'll get it a little bit after and whatever. It's really, really predictable. Um, and also there's a lot of them. Like if you look at, if you're doing a T20 franchise team, you probably wouldn't want to come into a team with that many guys who all want the new ball. It's yeah. a bit like the it's a bit like the opening batter thing in T20 cricket, where it's just like every team is seven opening batters, right? <laughs> it's a bit like that with the new ball, right? So fine. I get all that. This is the thing I would talk about. And this goes back to the, the the thing that you were talking about before. I have now asked a lot of people in and around Indian cricket over the last couple of weeks. As you will be shocked to know, no one spoke on the record. <laughs> <laughs> but I've spoken to a lot of people. And the words that kept coming back was that these players are paralyzed. Right? And that there's a huge fear of failure. And the thing that's really interesting for me, and I know you want to talk about the Football World Cup briefly um, later, but the thing that's really interesting to me is watching the England football team mm. at World Cups and then watching the Indian cricket team at World Cups. Talent doesn't necessarily seem to be a problem. We, we yeah. could quibble. We could say, oh, wish they had more of these. or yeah, Maybe yeah, have yeah. they tried this guy? But realistically, they're just, you look at their bilateral record, as you said before, and they're just stomping on teams, yeah. right? They're not quite South Africa in the late 90s, yeah, yeah. but they're like that kind of a team. Pretty much so, yeah. Yeah. And then, and then it doesn't happen. And 
there does seem to be a huge fear of failure. And so, someone was asking me about this on a podcast recently. And I said, look, obviously being an Indian cricketer is great because of the money and the power and the fame and all those cool things. Yeah. But I don't know how these people actually perform now uh, because of the, the fear of failure they must have. And the, you know, we're talking about, it's not one Sachin now, it's like a team of Sachins, right? Yeah. And, you know, they go out to dinner and suddenly there's, five cricket aggregator sites talking about yeah. how they were smiling at dinner after a lost oh, lost game or crazy, you know what yeah. i mean or what yeah. were you telling me before you know that someone goes from the bus and he picks his nose and that's a youtube video right of you yeah. know whatever all that sort of stuff is picked over and we talk about the cricket so much of cricket journalism especially in india now but pakistan is really high up yeah. there and sri lanka's got a bit of it as well yeah. which is it's almost not about the cricket at all it not is all, literally yeah. about all this other stuff and I, I first noticed it on a massive level when virat kohli started and i i don't know her name but the mrs virat kohli the famous bollywood oh, actor anushka sharma yeah yeah her i i noticed it when that happened where it was incredible how much of the reporting was about her and her impact on him rather than the cricket. And it's not like we haven't had that before, Lara Bingle and Michael Clark yeah. and, you know, all of Ian Botham's life. Um, but it felt like that was that whole thing, right, suddenly. And and cricket journalism just changed over a little bit then to entertainment journalism. And at the same time, smartphones existed, yeah. and social media existed. And so, you know, some of the things I get asked on my – I'm like, do you guys actually believe this? Like, this is <laughs> nonsense. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Like. You know, oh, but if you look at this free, uh, freeze frame, do you remember there was the one with Virat Kohli with the fake fielding? Yeah, 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 exactly. And it was yeah. like, if you look at this freeze frame, you'll see he's right in front of the umpire when he does it. And it's like, well, wait a minute, I watched that game and I yeah. saw that footage and I didn't notice it, right? And about, from what I could tell, less than 0.1% of people on Twitter noticed it because no one was talking about it, right? Yeah. But suddenly everything is like, analyzed to this other degree yeah. and what these people have been telling me is that the players are just not particularly handling it mm. um and you know they are a lot of them are checking out what's happening on twitter or on facebook mm. or on instagram or whatever it, it may be and they can't get away from it because they grew up in that era as, yeah. as well like yeah. of that and there does you watch them play and it does feel like okay we're, we're going to swing the ball around a little bit but then we'll cramp the middle at the end, uh, uh, cramp the middle, and then hopefully at the end we'll have created enough pressure to get wickets. Or we'll knock the ball around for a long time, and then of the last five overs we'll go absolutely ballistic, and that you know, therefore we won't fail, right? And the other exactly. team won't won't take us down in the middle overs. And, and it it does feel like they are playing that style of cricket. Yeah, as a team. I mean, look, uh, mm. I'm sure. Uh, if individual cricketers listen to this, they'll be like, no, I mean, you're talking crap. Like, you know, well, Sky's not like that, is he? Not at all. Like, yeah, not at all. Like, yeah, it's... Uh, and and I'm not even saying that Virat Kohli uh, doesn't have a place in this side. I mean, he has a role. And uh, one of my colleagues wrote a really nice piece at the start of the tournament, after maybe the second game, where he felt that Suryakumar Yadav allows Virat Kohli to bat the way he bats. Uh, it's a really nice piece, which uh, makes a lot of sense, right? Like, and we've seen it with other teams as well. I mean, for a Milan to use up those first few overs, you need everybody else around him to click the way they, they do for England. And and that's what um, uh, Surya Kumar Yadav, he's literally given Virat Kohli a new lease of life in T20 cricket, which is great. I mean, for Virat Kohli. But you're, you're, you're right about, like, going back to what you were saying earlier as well. It's I've seen seen journalism change in India like massively since 2008 when I started doing this. Like even stuff like and, and I'm I'm not blaming anyone. Everybody is out there uh, earning a living, and so mm. they should. And I'm I'm very supportive of. It's also where the money does. is, right? That's exactly. I mean, that yeah. they're doing it because that's where the money is. Like yeah, yeah. and so. Um, and look, they they get accredited. They do what they think they have to do, and it works out for them. So good on them. I'm I'll be very supportive. Anyone wants me on their YouTube channel, I will appear on their YouTube channel. But the thing is, as like even when players are walking away from a practice session, Jared, and you've watched a lot of practice sessions as well. I mean, that's kind of their space, right? Like they are in their own world. Uh, they might have had a good day, a bad day in the net. They're under pressure, out of form. Uh, I mean, for someone like me who watches a lot of nets, that's when I let them be, right? Like, that's their space at the end of the day. So now, I during this World Cup, I saw as they're walking away from the nets towards their dressing room, 
there are suddenly 18 cameras on them, right? Like, so they can never drop their guard. Like, you know, just even be self-critical or just even... Uh, mm. Back in the day, it was all about in the Sachin Tendulkar era. It was like, oh, he couldn't go to the movie theater. He couldn't live a normal life. But that was away from the field, away from the cricket venue. Now, because where journalism is, uh, or especially in India, or the subcontinent, he, they have absolutely no space. Even the nets, even their practice areas, even that little walk from the nets to the dressing room doesn't belong to them anymore in a strange way, right? Like, But again, like I said, that's social media for you. It has nothing to do with people who are practicing it. Uh, and so where does it end, right? Like, you know, you can never get a, a reprieve, really. And as we've seen now, hotel rooms are being raided as well, as unfortunately we exactly. saw with Virat. It's, uh, and that's going back to, like, a lot of people have said, why did Virat Kohli put up the clip of his room being raided? But that also tells you about how helpless he must have felt at that moment, right? Like, about this is the one space we have. And even there, there are cameras. So it it, it is... Um, yeah, it's not easy being an Indian cricketer. It never has been. Um, and yeah, I mean, maybe you're right. I mean, if they, uh, the people in the know are saying that they are paralyzed, uh, especially when it comes to World Cups as well, right? And with every passing year now, the next time they play a T20 World Cup, it would be 17 years since they last won a T20 World Cup. It would be uh, next year when they play, it'll be like 12 years since they won an ICC event, right? And it's at home. It's a repeat World Cup. And home World Cups are... Im like like I've spoken to so many who played in that 2011 World Cup. They're like, you can't order room service without 10 people coming and telling you how, how you have to win this game, sir. For mm. our sake, you have to win this game. It is it is another level. Like, you know, you I, it's difficult to compare the Indian cricket team to any other sporting team out there. But the English football team is a good one. Even though they started off in flying fashion last night, I sat and watched them smash Iran. Uh, but yeah, I mean... India won against Pakistan as well. So, like, it kicked off well for them in that World Cup, but didn't end too well. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you watch you watch English sports coverage of the football team, and there is a lot of this person has bought this flashy mm. house. And do you know what I mean? It's yeah, not yeah, the yeah. same. It's uh, you know, as much as the football culture is huge in England. It's still not the same. Like, I don't think my next door neighbour who doesn't follow football would be able to tell you who the football team is, where we both yeah. know that most people would be able to give you at least five or six of the the top cricketers, even if they don't follow the sport at all. So yeah. it, it is slightly different, but it is, you do look at those things and you go talent and money and, and, and system, maybe not particularly the problem. They all play a part, of course. Um, yeah. But I, I did, I just think it was really interesting. I, I've got some very good alternative lineups, but I'll work, you know, in the next couple of weeks, you'll see my video or my article of, I think there are really cool things you could do with the Indian team, but oh, I do absolutely. think that the the basic problem is not the people. Uh, it really is that there is something going on um, uh, within that team, and being that we've never managed to work it out with South Africa, you know, it's not exactly it's not like yeah. you and I are going to sit here and go, "All they need to do is, you know, let's all be Sky." And Sky's really interesting because he's a late bloomer. Yeah, late bloomers often feel a lot less pressure than uh, than other players because they're like. It, there's a whole, you know, like, you know, Dante from Clerks, he's not even supposed to be there, right? Like, yeah. it's almost accidental that he's there. Yeah. So everything's a lottery ticket for him, right? You know, uh, please see Mike Hussey uh, for that, <laughs> that sort of that sort of thing. And, and it's a different pressure than being KL Rahul where you come through and you're the star of Bangalore, uh, you know, and all these things uh, are coming up and you're supposed to be the next champion of your region, yeah. you know? And, you know, we Sanju Sampson is a really interesting one as well. Like, who's the... Second best cricketer from Kerala. Shri Oh, Yeah, exactly. Right? I mean, wherever he goes, whether he's playing or not, like, you know, uh, this is Sanju Samson fan club. Like, he represents that state. And because Kerala and cricket haven't always gone hand in hand over the years, it's even more. Like, yeah, absolutely And how many right. people would live in that region? Right? Yeah. It's, it's a massive state. Yeah. Right? There's a lot of people there. Yeah. And, I, and I don't think people... It, I don't think people understand that. It's like, he's more famous than a Sri Lankan cricketer, despite the fact that, <laughs> and has more fans than any Sri Lankan cricketer, despite the fact that he's a, like a, not even a fringe Indian player. He's like beneath no. an Indian fringe player. Like it's, it's a completely different world that, you know, until you get in a, an Uber in, in Kerala and uh, the person asks you if you know who Sri Santh is, do you realize what world you're entering? Yeah, I, I actually, you sent me on a, a, I had to find out what the population of Kerala is. It's, 
I mean, last year, according to the census, was 35.3 million. So that's just in Kerala. So that's a lot of people. That's, <laughs> that's a lot of Sanju Samson fans. Also, for those who don't know, used to be the heartbeat of um, the Olympics um, in India as well. There you go. There's a fun fact uh, for all the, all the uh, Kerala um, people out there listening to this. Um, but yeah, I, I just think the whole thing's really interesting and how you go about it um, going into the future it is really, really interesting. Um, let's stop there. And then we'll have a quick break, Bharat. And then after the break, uh, you're going to talk about something that I'm quite interested in. So years ago, mate, I did an article uh, that was about how players now quit in installments, right? And this is like oh, maybe 2007, 2008. And it's happening more and more. The interesting thing now is players are trying to work out what mm. they should actually quit. Whereas before it was pretty easy. It was generally at that stage, it was um, whatever your favorite format was, you you kept with it. And then yes. probably if the IPL was coming along, you worked with the IPL as well, right? Yeah. Now it's like, it's really strategic the way that people are trying to work out what they retire from and when they retire from it. Look, I mean, uh, I'll compare it this way. I mean, even even back in 2007, eight when the IPL came into being, uh, let's, Go back to 2010. Uh, the player's choices was was still like he he or she was going to, especially he, I would say here. It's probably a he context. then, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Was going to like a mom and pop grocery store down the road where there were very limited options, right? You pointed at this or that and you got yeah. it. But now it's it's become like Coles or like the biggest supermarket, even bigger than Coles, right? Like you go to, and especially a supermarket in a country like Australia, where you get everything everywhere. Like, you know, you go to Officeworks, which is supposed to be all about uh, Officeworks. Uh, but then there's also a section where you get chocolates and biscuits and milk. That's just the egalitarian nature of Australian society. You can society. eat those in an office. Yes, you can. That's true. But... <laughs> But it's I've I, I, I always wondered, like, so do people who work in these professional offices, unlike you and me, who work from home, like, do they make sure that the milk that they use in office is always bought from office works? I've always wondered. Maybe. Maybe they do. But that's that's the nature of uh, world cricket these days. So mm. if, if I am an international cricketer or, or a cricketer with some skill, with some talent uh, and with some some notoriety so i have so many options i'm in the supermarket i'm like okay one day i think i want to go down that aisle and just pick up the the ready-made cooked food like you know uh, which i just need to stick in the microwave the other day i uh, or the next week i feel like now nah, maybe i'll go to the fresh whatever section and pick up a lot of things and make my own meal that's how complicated and uh, confusing it's become uh, and, and i started thinking about this based purely on what david warner has been saying in the last uh, couple of weeks it started off with this interview where he said that he might be quitting test cricket uh, a year later and then they played that uh, ODI in Adelaide uh, last week. Australia versus England. Australia versus a hungover England <laughs> should have been called. Um, and uh, he and I remembered that in 2019 it was in that very press conference room in at the Adelaide Oval where he had spoken about how going forward. This is after he made that triple hundred against Pakistan. You remember he spoke about going forward. Uh, he wasn't sure what format he would be dropping, but uh, he would start dropping format and formats. And at that point, it felt like he'd go. T20, he dropped T20 first and then one day cricket because the World Cup. At that point, if you remember, before this is before COVID, the T20 World Cup in Australia was supposed to be in 2020. Mm. And then uh, it's it, based on what he was saying back then, he said, okay, we have two T20 World Cups coming up. So I'll play that, maybe quit that. And then we have the one day World Cup. And then he didn't even mention like quitting test cricket. At that point, he said that test cricket is almost uh, uh, a format where you can get to at least rest your body a little more strangely enough, right? Like, you know, unlike T20 cricket where you're on the road all the time. Um, that was three years ago, four years ago, three years ago. And now just sitting in that same press conference room, I asked him about it. I said, uh, so where do you sit now with this whole retirement thing? Like, you know, what about one day cricket still excites you? And like, why would you want to quit test cricket first? And he spoke about how everything for him is about World Cups. He said that 50 over World Cup comes around in 10 months time. And by the time the next 50 over World Cup comes around, which will be in Australia and New Zealand in 2027, uh, he said, I'll be 41. So obviously that's that rules that out. At least with test cricket now, we have the India tour and the Ashes tour and hopefully a World Test Championship final. So I have something to aim for, right? And with T20 World Cup, uh, T20 cricket, that World Cup is 20 months away. So sort of he can aim for that. So you can see in three years, 
with world cricket changing already someone like david warner um uh, in in his mid 30s has started looking at how he wants to shape his career differently and and then you look over to england where ben stokes retires from one day cricket everybody thinks he's retired from the wrong format but um it's also quitting t20i cricket is also a big risk when you're playing other formats right because you still want to be in the mix when it comes to all these big leagues i i assume even if you are ben stokes mm. you don't want to completely give up on that so 50 over cricket is for many reasons it's become the the middle child right it's it's easier to walk away from it because that's just bilateral cricket and world cup cricket there's there's no 50 over league happening anywhere in the world that you need to uh, get excited about uh, and, and then you come to someone like Mitchell Stark who said that test cricket is his priority and he's made it very obvious that um, IPL cricket or league cricket has not been his priority like family or uh, that extra million <laughs> so uh, and like full credit to him as well uh, I, I, so and he's spoken about uh, in the same week he's spoken about how he thinks that he'll continue playing test cricket and start dropping other formats so i'm just fascinated by how the narrative keeps changing not just on a global front front but even like individuals saying different things year after year because everything's changing in front of their eyes well i'm going to take it two steps further than what you've just said we've seen kyron pollard now retire from the ipl yes after he retired from international cricket but not retired from t20 cricket yet <laughs> so he's going to then play on as like a player coach for the UAE team or the South African team uh, whichever whichever other Mumbai yeah. franchise he's signed up with or is available for so again you have that similar kind of situation right where you're looking at this going he's thinking to himself he must have money has to be part of this i'm sure mumbai didn't want him playing for an IP, for yeah, an opposition yeah. ipl team but there's no doubt he could get through one more year of the IPL like Easy, he may yeah. but what I should say is there's no doubt he could get signed it could be that his knees are completely gone and he wouldn't make any runs but someone would have signed him it's Karen Pollard right like sure. who's not going to take take a chance on that so you now have this player who international cricket he basically said to west indies look I, my knees are screwed i don't know how much longer i've got i'm going to have to go west indies are like fine we're not winning with you yeah. that that's okay He then goes to Mumbai, plays one last season with them. Clearly, that hasn't improved his knees yeah. at all. <laughs> mm -hmm. There is a part of me that wonders if he's just going to play a lot less cricket to see if they just come back. I, I don't know. I've, I haven't chatted to him, so I don't know if it's um, mm. if it's a similar problem to Andre Russell. So Andre Russell's is that the um, the uh, I was going to say tissue. I don't mean the tissue. Do I mean the uh, the cartilage is gone? Yeah, you can't grow back cartilage. So yeah, I don't know if that's exactly what Kyron uh, Pollard's problem is, but my guess is it's probably something similar. And if that's the case, you can you can nurse it, but it's still going to hurt a lot. So you either can play with the pain or you can't. And so you've got that. Then you've got the women, right? Yeah. So it wasn't that long ago, and by that I mean maybe two years ago. Most women, when you talk to them, would just be complaining they don't play enough cricket. We don't play yes. enough cricket. We don't play enough cricket. Suddenly, overnight, they're retiring from playing too much cricket. Like yeah. it literally was so quick of, you know, and some, there was always other, there's always other issues, of course, with Stefani Taylor and Lizelle yeah. Lee. There's poly, it sounds like if you watch West Indies in 1994, maybe Stefani Taylor wanted to be captain, possibly. Yeah. Lizelle Lee had the fitness issues where she was yes. like, um, actually, I think I'm quite fit to hit sixes. Yeah. And they were like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> But the point is that even they've been given options. It's incredible how quick this has happened. So how quickly do we now develop into everyone is a specialist in different things yeah. like is that is that the next is that the next thing where someone who's 24 or 25 just goes okay well i'm good enough to be a fringe international player and i might be this good but if i spend all my time on this i'm going to be one of the world's best and i'm going to make a lot of money from yeah. this whereas if i go and do this and i do this and i do this i might make roughly as much money but my legacy won't be like, yeah. how many different things do you need to decide on someone someone asked me today on shadab khan he was like should Shadab Khan come into the test team? And I'm like, okay, forget what Shadab Khan thinks here. If I'm Pakistan, am I not also thinking, well, we want him to bat at number four in the T20 team and probably yeah. number five or six in the one day team. And we want him to be more consistent with his runs. But we also think if he played in the test team, maybe he could bat at six. And if he batted at six, we'd have a frontline bowler, but he'd have to develop his bowling exactly it's really weird because we, we that wasn't what it used to be right you just decided and we don't even this is not even factoring in shadab khan and what he thinks 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's like Adam Zampa being uh, talked about as a uh, an out-of-the-box pick for that India tour, right? He has not played a first-class game since 2019. I don't think he's played a first-class game since he moved from South Australia, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Sounds right, yeah. Yeah, so it, it is... It, 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 that's the world we live in. Like, yeah, you're right. It's at times it's not even about what the the player wants these days, whether it's men's cricket or women's cricket. Like, there are also others making decisions for him or her, right? Bringing them into the side. Uh, like, uh, I, I mean, I don't know whether Shan Masood ever thought he would play in a T20 World Cup, right? Like, I'm sure he wanted to, but six months out from the World Cup, I don't know whether he ever thought he would be within uh, you know touching distance of, or whether whether he would ever don the colored jersey for Pakistan. But then you saw him play a pretty important role for them as well. So now how does Shan Masood look at the rest of his career? For the longest time, he was this test opener in and out of the side. But now he's played a T20 World Cup final. Um, he's been one of their chief run-getters in the World Cup as well. Um, so how does he start looking at his career now? And we're not talking about a Pollard or a Gale or a Stark or a Warner here. We're talking about someone who's a good, decent uh, test match opener made some runs um, uh, here and there, but never really been able to cement his side, uh, place in this test side. Um, he's in his, what, early 30s, I would like to believe. And now he's broken out as a T20 player. So does he look, how does he look at the next five years of his career? Does he just focus on T20 cricket? Does he try to come back to test cricket? It, it's it's fascinating. And I think he'll keep changing and, and wait till... We hit that point where cricket becomes like soccer, which is just inevitable, and the contracts start being given mm. out by the franchises, right? Even if not all of them, uh, but like franch once franchises start controlling contracts, then what happens? I mean, yeah, in a way, they are in charge of uh, what decisions you make, but you'll still have some some sort of autonomy about what you want to do and how you want your career to be. So, yeah, wait for it. I, I, and you're right. I mean, like Polar, there might be people who will say, okay, I'm retiring from the IPL and the BBL, but I'm still available for the SA T20 League and the T. It's yeah. It's it's and all these T10 tournaments starting as well, Jared. I got an email last night. I was quite. I mean, I, I just heard about Sri Lanka starting their first ever T10, or becoming the first ever Test nation. Or uh, no, start West Indies have the sixty, don't they? Oh, they do have. They do have the sixty. Yeah, so they have the sixty. This is. Uh, but Sri Lanka have their official T10 league and late last night I got an email saying Cricket Kenya has started their T10 league so starting I think in March or April 2023 I'd never got an email from Cricket Kenya before I will be very honest so I was a little taken aback but yeah there's just so much happening and um, yeah that supermarket's just getting bigger and bigger it's going from Coles to Aldi I would say <laughs> just I just think that your supermarket references are just on so much of our audience. Just go, what's a Coles? What's an oh, old? that is true. I'm so At least sorry. Office works. Too... They're like Office works. I get that. That makes sense in my head. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, let's take another break. And after break, I'm going to tell you something. In fact, after break, we're going to talk about two different sports that are not cricket. Just for a moment. All right. So I want to tell you something really cool. And you are always banging on about wrestling, so I figure I have <laughs> some time to uh, mention basketball here. So. Some, I'm a Denver Nuggets fan, and a really interesting thing happened in a Denver Nuggets game. At the end of the second quarter, Luke, do, what do you know about basketball before? How much do I need to explain to you personally? Uh, no, no, I do understand the rules. I have I have written a little bit of basketball early on in my career. So, Perfect. Yeah. So, Luka Doncic, one of the best players in the world um, from Slovenia, he's playing against Nuggets, uh, and he takes a three-pointer right on the, on the the at the end of the halftime, and it, he gets it in. Then they do a review. Um, while, so the players are off in the locker rooms. They do a yeah. review and they realize his foot was on the line. So DRS. Mm. <laughs> um, so they've had, this is so cricket, this thing, by the way. Mm. It's so beautifully cricket. After halftime has finished, they have to come back out, but play the last two seconds again. <laughs> right? But now Denver has the ball, but it gets yeah. even more futile because Denver has the ball in the wrong half. So they're miles away from their basket. They've got two seconds. So they're not going to be able to get the ball down, right? So they come back out, right? And so the three points are taken off Dallas's total. And now Denver had the ball in the defensive part of their of their court. They get the ball. And this guy called Vlatko Chanchar gets the ball, right? And he's also Slovenian and friends with Luka. Yeah, of course. Right? Yeah. And he shoots it from the other end and gets it in. So it's like, I don't know, 60-foot shot, 65-foot shot yeah, exactly. that he gets in. It's in Dallas, and he's a Denver player. The crowd still erupts because it's a half-court shot, 
right? Yeah. It's like impossible not not to get behind it. But the whole thing just gets like weirder and weirder. Um, like the more that you 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 start to actually un un undo it. First thing is that Luca, uh, sorry, Luca, Vlatko Chanka wasn't on the court when this mm. happened. They subbed yeah. him in for this final two seconds, right? Oh. And the reason they subbed him in is apparently he at the end of every practice session he practices half court shots. Right. Oh. And he does it with the coaches. So all the coaches knew that he was really good at this. Right. And then the story gets better because apparently the person he first started practicing the half goal shots was, was with Luca when he played in Slovenia with, with Luca. Right. <laughs> and not only that, Luca used to smash him. So Luca's like literally the guy so upset that this has happened against him. Right. I, 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 I. On top of that, Vlatko Chancha is, I don't know, six foot nine, quite solid. He's not, he's not. He's not like a doughy European unathletic mm, player, yeah, yeah. but he's yeah, not quick. Yeah. He's not like a fast twitch guy or yeah, anything yeah. like that. And he's six foot nine, so he's not really known for his shooting, although he can shoot. On the court, Denver actually has a guy called Bones Highland, who is probably one of the quickest players in the NBA and is known for shooting. They call them logo threes when you shoot from the, from the logos. Right, right. So they literally have someone who could do it, and they brought on this doughy white guy, and he's nailed the shot. So it's already it's already really weird from from that kind of perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you've got the fact that it was when Luca hit his uh, shot, the score was fifty nine to fifty two, right? Yeah. So they take that off, so it's now fifty six to fifty two, and now when he hits that shot, Vlatko, it goes to fifty five fifty six. The uh, Denver won the game by one point. Oh, right. So even though this happened in the middle of the game, this yeah, random yeah, yeah, thing yeah. all play, but then you look at it and, and you think you watch him shoot the shot and you realize really early on that this is someone who is, it's not like quite often when you see someone, have you ever seen white men can't jump? Yeah. So white men can't jump. There's a half court shot where he like throws it over his head. Right. And yeah, if you watch yeah, basketball, quite often they'll shoot it off their chest. If you watch yeah, Flatco, yeah. this is someone who's like spent a lot of time practicing this spe specific thing, yeah, right? Yeah. And it just happens to be in this one moment of this it one just, game yeah. that they weren't going to win because the, the, they, they've got the best player in basketball, the two-time MVP, Nikola Jokic, he was injured. Their second best player was injured. Their fourth best player was injured. One of the other players <laughs> got injured during the game and they're going up against yeah. Luka, right? So they're going to lose this game, but this yeah, yeah. weird six-point swing ends up and they end up winning by a point, right? And this one thing that he practices over and over again, partly as a joke, but also he always used, he, he always used to say that it was like it might come in handy one day, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the basketball story that's weird. When yeah. I was young, uh, I had a school teacher who was absolutely perhaps one of the most useless school teachers I've ever had. He did my business studies course. I don't know why anyone, there was one girl in our class who wanted to um, sell children's clothes, right? I remember that. She was really, weirdly full on for a 16 year old yeah. of like, I'm going to grow up and, and, and sell children's clothes, right? No one else in that class gave a shit about anything about business studies. This guy was a useless teacher. And so we would literally go into this class and just talk. Right, and he just gave up trying to teach because no one was listening. Yeah, turned out he was a grade cricketer from Sydney, right? Oh, and right. according to him, quite good. And when we, you know, it's before the days where you could check on play cricket to yeah. see how good he was. Yeah. But either way, when we started talking about him, and it happened to be that our business class had four representative cricketers in it. There was probably only five representative cricketers in our whole school, and four of them happened <laughs> to be in this business studies class. So once we found out, we would like pepper him with stuff like you know, yeah, you know, because he played against. Glenn McGrath and all those but sorts I of guys, know, right? Yeah. Um, uh, a lot of Mike Whitney stories, more white Mike Whitney stories than anything else. But he's he's telling us all this sort of stuff. And, then, and, and like one day, I can't remember if it was me or one of the other guys was like, well, you know, what would you do if you're coming through cricket now? Right. Mm. And he was like, if it was me now, I would practice specialist skills. And we were like, oh, yeah, mm. batting, bowling, whatever. And he's like, yeah. no, 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 no. Like, if I was going to be a short leg fielder, I would devise a bunch of different things for short leg fielding, yeah. right? Um, if I was, and he was, it was really specific. The other thing he talked about was fielding a deep backward square for a spinner and, right. and like, you know, training yourself to get used to the spin off the sweep shots and, and all these. And he said in cricket, basically what we do is we train people on the very basics, right? Okay. You can hit the top of off and you're a seam bowler, right? What happens if you're bowling to a guy over the top of off, just gets on top of it and, and drives you back over your head over and over again? Can you now, in a moment's notice, hit a meter shorter, right? Can you come exactly. wider on the crease because they, whatever? And he was talking about it really specifically. And he took it outside of cricket as well. He was talking about basketball and football. 
uh, I think it was Aussie Rules Football. Actually, it might have even been rugby, but whatever it was. But he was talking about how if you're kicking the ball a lot, you should practice kicking the ball when you're off balance, right? Mm. So like, yep. it, and he was only talking about five times at a training session, a bit like what Vlatko did, you know, with the half court yeah. shots, right? Um, and in basketball, he was talking about the last five seconds of a play, it, you do it as a broken play. So you know you've got five seconds on, on the shot clock. Everyone's standing still. What do you do, right? And it, you and I would be up there for the people who've probably spent the most time at the most varied amount of nets. There's John Etheridge from England's probably spent yeah. millions of times at nets more than us. But you and I, you know, we've seen so many teams practice. I've seen so many franchise teams and worked with franchise teams. Yeah. You're the nets guy now. You probably took my title as the nets guy, um, you know, back in the day of the guy that was always just hanging out and annoying people, right? Mm. Uh, not that I'm saying either of us annoy people. No, not of course not. Yeah. I would still say that cricket's training and preparation for games is still incredibly one-dimensional and it's not as far different from club cricket as international cricket would like to make out. And I think I've told this story recently, and I don't know if, I don't know if it was on your podcast, but about Glenn Phillips watching him prepare to wicketkeep yeah. when he went through almost every movement that he thought he might have to do in the game he practiced and i'm not saying he he expertly practiced it because you don't have time yeah. but he practiced running back over his head he flicking yeah, his yeah. gloves off you know um taking the ball one-handed all those sorts of things that you need to do and you know and and it's really obvious to me that at this stage we're still in cricket we're still not quite preparing the way that we should for these individual moments that come up in games all the time right and, and yeah. that you're going to have to use. And I thought you might be the perfect person, and, and, unless I've missed it in the last three years when I haven't been at the net. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't think that's how teams really train still for individual moments that are going to come up. Uh, teams don't. As a, as a collective, very rarely they do. I mean, the one thing you see a lot of teams do is the boundary catching where, you know, they kind of do the whole... Oh, just one second. Uh, Oli, oi, oi, you know, nobody's there. Don't make up stuff. Go away. Oli, oi. Down. Sorry. They don't do it as a collective, but uh, individually, some some of them you would see them do, do it. I mean, Steve Smith is one of them um, in whatever format. Like I remember in Sri Lanka, he was uh, where for the, before the second test, there was this whole talk about like, oh, you thought the first pitch for the first test was a turner. Wait for the second test. Uh, you know, it's going to keep really low. And I saw him play, start practicing this uh weird sweep shot where he would kind of just like duck uh, when the ball was coming his way and get into this very squatty position and try to play. I started calling it the squat sweep. Uh, and I, as he left, I asked him like, why were you practicing that? He said, well, what if it comes in handy, right? Like if it works out, like if I'm in that position, I'll have something. At least I have some yeah. muscle memory to fall back on. So someone as quirky as Steve Smith, you might see do that. Uh, but I think the one guy who was, and he can do it because he can afford to do it, uh, who has, I think, really nailed how to practice for T20 cricket as a batter is Dinesh Karthik. Because what Dinesh Karthik does, and Dinesh, then my colleague spoke to Dinesh Karthik and he told him in detail, well, it's, it, the story's out there on Crickbus somewhere, um, that he, during the off-season, he just hires grounds all around, this, all around the country. And he says this also in the interview that he can do it because he has the money mm -hmm. to do it as well, right? So he hires grounds and hires like 11 players, bowlers, fielders, all of that. And he works on specific scenarios and skills yeah. on a daily basis. So one day it'll just be about, okay, you need to get 14 runs of the last over and you have a left-arm spinner bowling. He'll spend like three hours just facing different kinds of left-arm spinners and trying to fulfill that task. Or it'll be just about, you know, make you have to make certain amount of runs and certain amount of balls. It's always about finishing with him, right? And he'll spend the whole day with it, with different fields. Pack the leg side field, pack the offside field. Or one day it'll just be about like the sweep shot, the lap shot. And and that's why, I mean, his game just keeps seems to keep evolving all the time. I mean, it might not have come off during the World Cup. And that's one of the main reasons he was able to come back into the side. So... You have guys like that, but then for that, you need not just money, you also need uh, the time, right? I mean, Dinesh Karthik doesn't mm -hmm. play much. He plays domestic cricket. Uh, I don't know whether he plays a lot of Ranji Trophy cricket these days, but he does play the Vijay Azhare, I know, and Syed Mushtaq Ali. Uh, I mean, you can go check it out. But he has enough time during the year, because Indians don't play anything but the IPL, to work on this. So you need time and you need a lot of money, but 
if you are a, a modern day cricketer, I'm sure you can find ways of uh, mm. you know picking and choosing what Dinesh Karthik does. I think there's practicing. a few individuals out there that do it. Yeah. In fact, I had a batting coach recently who's working with a major player, and he was coming to me for ideas, like not not so much that they were going to use them, but he's just like, okay, yeah. this guy, if we were going to, I think, uh, yeah, it was for T20 cricket. He said, if we we're going to rebuild his game, what would you do? And I was like, yeah. you know, and, and so I just came up with a bunch of specific things from, and it was really, it was even more basic than what Dinesh Kartik is doing. In fact, yeah. in some ways, that Dinesh Kartik thing is the off-season thing that you do, right? Yes. Whereas the in-season thing seems to be the bigger yeah. problems where you just go in and you face 30 balls in the nets or 40 balls yeah. in the nets. And it's like, well, that's not at all how you should be preparing for a T20 game. Um, yeah. And so I, I just find it really interesting. And I do think that, you know, I, I do think at times that the way that we prepare for cricket is just a little bit more basic than it needs to be. Yes. And the way that we get good at cricket is completely different to the way we should prepare for matches. And I don't mm. think we've got, I always look at baseballers. So baseballers go out and they do all their individual skills. They're not even really doing them as a team, right? They pair yeah, up yeah, a little yeah. bit and you get that a little bit in cricket, but then in cricket, yeah, it's yeah. like, oh, well, now we've got to do the football warm up. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I mean, in Scotland, we were playing football um, in the UAE before games. Like, it was, <laughs> why would you do that? We don't need to, yeah. that, surely that's not a good thing to do. Um, so I do think there's some errors there. Uh, you want to talk about the Football World Cup at FIFA quickly. I'm assuming that incredible speech by, was it, I want Infantino, is that his name? Infantino, yeah. He, said I he's, mean, he basically claimed uh, that freckles are the same as being disabled, oh, from what I could tell. God. I mean, they're really making the ICC and every other sports organization who've been under the pump looks like angels, right? Like, yeah, I'm not saying the ICC have... Uh, had the kind of scandals FIFA have had, but or just everything from that speech to uh, the things that we are hearing about, not just the players uh, and you know the the whatever the armbands or messages that they wanted to portray to the world. But uh, I saw a clip on social media: this uh, a former female footballer was not allowed because inside the stadium with a rainbow hat and and just the sanctions that FIFA seemed to be. Um, uh, or, or, or like you know, the sanction that seemed to be coming from the FIFA for players and fans who just trying to make a statement about something they should be making a statement on. Like so, it, it's just strange. Like you know, it's just uh, it's it, I have like mixed feelings watching this World Cup. I know it's sport, and you need to somehow find of um separate what's happening in in the in Qatar and um, all the human rights violations that went into the making of this World Cup. I saw. Um, last week tonight, they said I shouldn't have before. <laughs> before, and this, I was telling Isha uh, the the other day. This was the first time since I think nineteen ninety eight that I didn't watch the first opening game of a football World Cup because it just didn't. A, it was Ecuador and Qatar at a very odd time, but also just didn't. I don't know. It just felt a little odd. And then I saw last week tonight John Oliver, and I was like, uh, even though most of those stories I was aware of, you just like you know it makes you feel very icky. Like you know, at some point. You shouldn't be able to separate sport from the reality of what's happening, right? It it it's kind of weird. I don't know what you made of it, but um, yeah, I just don't feel very comfortable watching it. Yeah, one of the things I felt interesting was that the teams decided not to wear the armbands because FIFA would step uh, come down on them because that is the yellow cards. Yeah, yeah. So that is the point of um, protest, right? So you know, we've had we've had Olympians give up their medals because of yeah. protests um, they've done before. Um, you know, uh, you know, Colin Kaepernick loses a career on the back yes. of that. And it's not just left-wing athletes either. Enos um, Cantor or Enos Freedom, whatever his full name is now, um, uh, you know, is a right-wing athlete who's lost his career. Like, we've seen it in both directions, right? Like, if you really yeah. believe it, then you take the yellow card. And yes. so, and, and, you know, you hear some of these football coaches and managers talking about this. And you get, and I'm not having a go at the footballs at all, but you get the feeling they don't really believe it, right? And I'm, yes. it's just that the cultural pressure sort of became too much. And then you've got, yeah. I, I, I find this really interesting as a cricket person, the Western culture, culture clashing in with the, you know, Qatari culture and everything else. Yeah. And so you've got Infantino and all these other people go, well, look at what Europe has done for 3,000 years. And it's like, yeah. yeah. And look, and Switzerland didn't have women voting until what, and it's just like, yeah, like I get what you're saying. 
Um, yeah. And I'm not saying there isn't some racism because I think there has no, been no, some obvious yeah. racism against not so much Qatar, but the whole the whole setup from from the from, Middle East yeah, and all that. Yeah, yeah from yeah. from Western people on the outside, but it's also still immigrants, um, uh, you know, yeah. being forced to work in ridiculous conditions. And yeah, it's really interesting because. I would love to go back and know what happened when some of the UAE stadiums were built in cricket. Yes. And we don't have exactly. a media that is even, it was funny. They were talking about the FIFA. He was going, you know, 400 journalists turn up to this press conference, but you know, not, not to some other press conference. I'll say, have we ever had a cricket press conference with 400 people? Like even in uh, India, yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. Mumbai is the only place you would get 400 press. In any even Sachin Tendulkar's farewell press conference didn't have 400 people. No, <laughs> it's such a different economy. But I, I was wondering about that with the UAE because obviously you and I know how uh, immigrants are treated in the UAE yes, as well. Exactly. It's, yeah. You know, and then same system. And someone else asked me if there's ever been a, a moral issue with the ICC. I would have thought the major one we all kind of missed just because. I don't. I, I think it was partly our fault, but also just because it wasn't a story because the men's team was a story, but the Afghanistan women's team yes, not existing. Exactly, yeah. That only became an issue when the Taliban took over, whereas actually, yeah. in fact, it was should have been an issue beforehand as well. Before, yeah, um, exactly. So it it's really the whole thing's really even if you go back to uh, you know the first women's World Cup uh, in cricket in 1973, where basically Rachel Hayhoe Flint tried to get these South Africans and that was before it was the ICC, of course, but tried to yeah, get a yeah. South African team in. And then she wanted to host the second event there. Um, I, and, and I think there was, was it Don Bradman was still into the yeah. early seventies was still arguing that, um, test cricket should uh, be played in, uh, sorry, that South Africa should be able to play in test cricket. Um, so it's not that we haven't had them, but FIFA just seems to take everything to just such a ridiculous degree until you get that was like donald trump when he's like on diet coke withdrawal that press conference yeah. it was so bizarre and he just kept digging himself in it's actually it's kind of nice that like in the the icc that they just wouldn't give a press conference like that they wouldn't even know how yeah. to give a press conference like that, that no one true. would turn up Exactly. Yeah. I mean, especially for an ICC press conference. I mean, cricket is covered so differently. It's always, always so much more about the players and uh, the teams, even the coaches, than the administrators, right? I mean, there are a few of us who are so good at it. I'm definitely, I'm not one of them. Who's so good at covering cricket administration at the ICC level, at the national board level. Uh, but a majority of people who do cricket are generally more focused on like, yeah, like you're right. I mean, how many stories have been written about the construction of stadiums? No, not just in the UAE, anywhere in the world, right? Like, yeah, it's quite, quite something. Yeah. I mean, what goes into it? What, what labor gets used for it? Like, yeah, I, I mean, we've never seen a story like that happen before. And uh, I wonder, like, you know, once cricket, who knows, right? In with T Twenty cricket, maybe it'll become like this global phenomena. But still, I mean, the things that Qatar had to do to pull off this World Cup, like what eight stadiums and some forty hotels. I don't think cricket will ever require require extreme steps like that. Um, so, just on a basic level, like when this happened, and people because that story comes back up, and it's like, well, how did Qatar get the World Cup? And it's it's really important to know that we don't even have an open process in cricket. When it comes to exactly. getting World Cups, yeah. <laughs> we also in football one of the biggest things is making sure that the the draw is completely fair. We yeah. openly rig our draw. Of uh, course, you know there's so many things that we do that are unethical in cricket and are just accepted now as part yeah. of the game. It's actually kind of a remarkable situation that that you find yourself in. But um, I'm just going to finish with one last thing as your dogs try and uh, drown me out, which is. When the big three takeover happened and we were at the meeting before the final meeting and me and yeah. Sam went out for the film, they didn't have a press area, right? <laughs> and they hadn't released where the meeting was going to be. And so it you can see us in the film literally calling around to work out where the fuck this meeting was going to be so we could yeah. gatecrash it. And when we got there, they weren't angry at first that we were there with cameras. Originally, they were like, how did you even know that we had a meeting on yeah. today? Right? That's how different the two sports actually are. And that was yes. only, what was that, 2013? Um, yeah. So by that stage, you would think that things were going on in cricket, and they weren't. 
Uh, in fact, in the uh, in in the Kerry Packer documentary where they show all the press running up um, to talk to people outside the MCC meetings and everything, I think it was Gideon Haig just went, "No, there was that was not what happened. There was not like <laughs> there was not a throng of press." No totally way. Anyway, Barra, <laughs> I will let you go. You're commentating the all important Redbacks. Are they still called the Redbacks? Yes, they are still called the Redbacks. The Victoria. I mean, uh, some of these teams have made. Maintain their name. Yeah. So they're the Redbacks. Victoria is still just Victoria these days. Western Australia is just Western Australia. Queensland can be referred to as the Bulls occasionally. But yeah, Redbacks are the only ones who've just stuck to it. Like, yeah, so you often have to say Redbacks on commentary. Otherwise, people won't know who you're talking about. I actually, weirdly enough, you're going to commentate on them. I just did a podcast on uh, a Sean Tate spell from 2006, uh, which will. Ah. So you'll be up here. Um, and then the next one. So it's it's an all red back week for me on uh, oh, on, on the go. podcast. <laughs> uh, thanks again, mate. And I'll chat to you next week. Thanks for listening to the 99.94 Network. Cricket every day. Remember to download our app or just search for your favorite team at 99.94 where you find podcasts on Google or YouTube. This show has an ad-free version via Patreon. And there are many other extras available there as well. There is a link to the show notes. The show is hosted by me, Jared Kimber. Barrett Sundaresan is my co-host. It is produced by Nick McCorriston. We also have a great production team from 42 with Rati Joshi on socials, Orijoti Senapayi and Maida Akam producing podcasts, and Makunda Bandredi is the head of our YouTube account.